Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. On today's episode, we are extremely excited to welcome Canadian country superstar Dallas Smith. Now, this was an exciting one for me, especially because I've been following Dallas ever since the beginnings of his rock band default. I actually have a drumstick from about 20 years ago at a concert that I have signed by the band. So over the past 20 years, I've been following along, listening to the music and seeing his rise through default and then to his country career. I had a great time learning more about the background of that career and really the highs and lows that have carried him here to today with 12 number one singles to his name as a country artist. So please enjoy our conversation with Dallas Smith. I heard you talk about the Abbey Road medley was something that you heard on the radio as a kid that that was sort of your first memory of when music really kicked in for you. So talk about that memory and what hearing that on the radio meant for you. Yeah, it was some music was always in the background in my house, obviously like house parties and stuff that my parents were having and different things. But um, it wasn't until like, it was a Sunday night. I must have been seven or eight years old. And on the Sunday nights in the classic rock station, they would have they would retell like war of the worlds. They would just like, you know, uh, uh, speaking stories and, and sound effects and stuff. Right. And that would normally get put on on Sunday night. And I enjoyed listening to that, but then I, I normally would fall asleep during it, but I ended up staying awake and it was the first thing that popped on was this medley. And it was the first time I'd, I'd ever really like remembered sitting and listening to music and not being a background thing, right? you know, yeah. or, or being, or concentrating on something else that was going on when music was being played. Um, and just listening to the transitions and the voices and the harmonies and just like, if it just was ear candy, I was really, I, yeah, it was something about it. And it's kind of cartoonish too, though. There's some stuff in there. I don't know. It really caught my attention. And, and at that, at that moment, I, I started like diving into more of the Beatles stuff and then getting into like the Zeppelin records and, you know, a lot of like the Jimi Hendrix greatest hits and sort of the rock side of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so that was my, that was my first memory of like something that was my own that wasn't yeah. just put on for me. You know, I was just like, man, I got to dig back into this and figure out what it is. And yeah. Um, so that was really the first one. Yeah. So before that, had you started singing around the house? Had you gotten into that or did that come sort of after that experience that you started to sort of enjoy singing, not necessarily around others, but just to yourself? Yeah, honestly, yeah, it was I, I, like I sang as a kid, like young, young kid. My mom was in Sweet Adeline's like women's professional choir and my oh, dad okay. played guitar and, and sang around the house too a little bit. But um, yeah, I didn't I didn't sing after a certain point. I'm not sure exactly what age, but I just got, you know, as soon as you hit the get shy and self-conscious about it, I just quiet was quiet. Right. And, yeah. and so it was more something I just enjoyed. Um I just enjoy singing along to stuff by myself to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. So it was around then I started just, yeah. Yeah. Discovering my voice and, 
And um, yeah, it wasn't until I was like maybe 14, 15, I really started like putting some gas on to, instead of just singing like, you know, I, I sing Zeppelin stuff and whatever, but um, like the Allison Chain stuff and really trying to like Soundgarden and really trying to push my vocals. That's why I was like, oh, hey, I can do some pretty cool stuff here. I think yeah. I can do this maybe, you know? So I just enjoyed it. Like, um, challenging myself to get to sound like other people and, and how do they do that vocal and the placements? And it's really cool what they do there and distorting there. It's just, yeah, that's when I started diving into like what I could do and, and teaching myself. Um, but yeah, I, I, I never, even all through my teens until I didn't sing in front of somebody until I was about 20 years old. Yeah. And before that, I, you've talked about sort of how you found it easier to connect to people through music and through song pretty much throughout your entire life. And so when you first started singing in your teens, what sort of escape was that for you? Everything. It was everything. I, I, I mean, there's certain years in high school that were better than others, but like the, the years that I, I wasn't having a good time, it was, I had about an hour and a half, two hours after school, I'd walk home um, and I'd have the house to myself and my parents have a, they just had a rip in stereo and we had the video game system set up and that, that was my, that was my thing. My decompression um, from the day and whatever stresses you have as a kid, you know, and right. um, I'd sit there and play some video games and just sing along to like my favorite records, like cranked um, my neighbors. I'm sure they knew when I was home right? Uh, and they knew when nobody else was home, <laughs> but that, that was my thing. Man. Yeah. I, I, I do that. And, and that was, that's the thing. Like singing is such an expressive thing to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I really got a lot out of that, like just emotionally and like processing things and yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great, great escape, great escape for me. Right. And I saw your first concert, I believe was you two at BC place stadium. Now during that show, do you remember the feelings within you? Like, were you looking at that stage thinking that is awesome. I want to be up there. I never really, yeah. I never really made the connection of like, I could do this. Like oh, okay. I could get up there and do that. It was just, I was like enamored with, with um, the confidence of somebody being up there and, and, and the creativity and, and the personality that was shown, especially with a guy like that. Um, you walk into one of the biggest shows you could see with the cars on the arms and the TVs and you pull up George Bush and the Iraq war during the show. It's just crazy stuff, man. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, so it was very, very eye-opening to like how how a show could be. Um, Bjork, Bjork's old band, the Sugar Cubes, was like the first, the first act that I had seen. So seeing Bjork was the first singer I'd seen. Like, it was oh, okay, cool. yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it was, it was great. So it was a really, it was, um, it set the bar very, very high for what a show could be. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it it very rarely touches that, uh, that heights, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so when you hit twenty. And you're sitting around in your buddy's place, your buddy's garage. They're sort of getting more into the music side. What was it within you that finally made you want to jump up and sing in front of people and give that a try and put on some STP and start belting it out? I, yeah, it was a, it was like a now or never sort of thing. I just I didn't even really compute that we were, we were going to take it somewhere. It was right. just that like, I just want to challenge myself and get out, get over the fear of doing this. Cause I enjoy doing it. I would love to go up and sing karaoke with, with everybody instead of being the guy that's like 
wishes he could get drunk enough to get brave enough to go and, you know? Yeah. So like, it was more about like challenging myself and like, I just, I get so much out of it. It would be such a shame for me just to keep hiding and not being able to do this. Um, so yeah, it, it, like I had gone and watched the band that ended up being default who I was in. They had a different singer and different bass player. And, but, the, but Danny and Jeremy were the two guys that, um, yeah, I would go watch them, their band play. And I was just in a live thing and I'd go watch them open up for Nickelback and like in front of right. 20 people. Right. So I was just yeah. kind of in that, in that little world and watching that grow and the energy and the energy and the fun that they were all having. And so when they, when they separated from that, that of the singer and, you know, they just wanted to jam. I was talking to the guitar player, Jeremy. I was just like, man, I can sing a little, we should just goof around and do some stuff. And it was more like just me talking myself up, trying to like get myself the opportunity to it. And one Friday night, just planned to have a few drinks. And I, I had a six pack of Molson Canadians or whatever it was, or Coconese. And, and um, yeah, got brave enough to go and do uh, plush by Stone Temple Pilots, just through the little, little monitors we had rented and a couple loud guitar amps. No, yeah, it was just, as gorilla as it could get and and um yeah it was it was it was right away right then that we started piecing together some riffs and some songs that jeremy had put together and was putting my voice on and changing some melodies and um that was my first taste of like songwriting and what creating a song could be and um yeah it was it was it was definitely i was definitely the one that was very very behind <clears throat> right yeah on that i had no idea what i was doing but you know, just whenever I, I would get into the vocal booth and we'd start goofing around, it was the end result. Everybody was pretty excited and we were happy. And yeah, we still have, we still have those, those tapes. It's right. Um, yeah. Those ADAT tapes. Yeah. And so how did you go from not wanting to perform in front of anyone to doing this little karaoke jam with some buddies one night, and then all of a sudden wanting to be in a band, like for you personally, mentally, how quickly did that switch turn for you from not wanting to perform to, wow, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. It was basically like, just let's just see where this goes. Cause it, it really started snowballing pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I, I sang in the garage and then I think like within three months we had had, we had a few songs, maybe five songs put together um, and recorded them just like, terribly to an ADAT uh, tape and that like right away pretty much got like from my guitar player's hands to Joey Moy um, yeah within like the first couple of months it was like immediate and then that tape Joey like hey Chad you know Nickelback Chad Chad I think yeah. we got something here because they were fresh out of recording school um, so yeah we we yeah, that, that was it, man. It was just kind of like one foot in front of the other. Don't be afraid to take that next step. Yeah. And let's just see where it goes. Cause it, it was not like I had no idea how a band went from garage to getting eyeballs and, and like, and getting discovered. I had no idea how that happened. <clears throat> and as far as I knew, it was just like, it was a random, the stars have to align. So it was like right. all of a sudden watching these stars align in front of us, um, went to the vocal went yeah i mean like yeah got some money together and uh there was a plan that that chad had with joey as far as recording what we were going to do and we approached my parents um to borrow some money and they didn't have money to, to lend us but they lent us individually some money to to go and give to chad and joey and go record and you know it was just that one foot in front of the other thing right it wasn't like i knew 
where this was going to go. I didn't know what the steps were. Right. I just knew that every step was going to challenge me. And I just put my head down and went with it and did the best I could do. And um, next thing we knew, we were, we had a U.S. record deal. Uh, we got sent back to the studio, like to go work on some new stuff. And like last minute, we put together the song called Wasting My Time and recorded it. And, and next thing you know, we've, we've, you know, get a, I'll get a call from, from the label guys saying, Hey, first week, you guys just got K rock New York. I'm like, is that good? <laughs> New York's big city. Is that cool? Yeah. So it was, it was, it was like that, man. And we were, yeah. You know, first time into New York, we were playing the Hammerstein ballroom sold out Nickelback, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world with how you remind me and one foot in front of the other, man, try not to drown out there. That's crazy. So within this career, as you think back to that beginning, and as an artist for you, you never planned to be an artist. Then all of a sudden you're in a band who's selling millions of records in the States. You have a great career with them. You jump into country. Your first song in country goes number one. So within this journey, do you ever look at that? And the fact that you never really had a struggling artist phase. You really just have been taking this from the very beginning. And I mean, there's been struggles, obviously. It hasn't all been easy. But as far as the success is concerned, it's kind of always come like pretty quickly for you in every yeah. stage of your career. Yeah, like we had we had that we had that real big, huge uh, launching point at the beginning with Waste of My Time and then Denied it really well, too. We did some touring across uh, the world. We went we went to a lot of cool places. Um, but then like we, we started paying, we started paying for that quick, uh, that quick, uh, success, you know, uh, um, being, we just, yeah, the things that we had to learn were self-inflicted, um, not being prepared enough for the second record, not writing. We were just partying and just enjoying the, the, the fruits of our labor, right? I mean, well, as just, any young 20-year-old does, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we just had, I mean, I specifically had no idea how, how this stuff all happened and, and what would keep it all going. And we worked hard, but we just worked hard in the, in the wrong areas, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's where we came, that's where we had the struggles. That's where we had, you know, yes, we, we toured in a van and we did all that kind of stuff. We got to a bus pretty quick, but then, but then we hit those things. It, it's just like, you know, yeah, we weren't ready for the second record. Um, we had some label issues. Um, there's internal band issues. There was, uh, we had a, 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 yeah, it got dark, really dark um, around the third, fourth record that we had. So mid two thousands to like 2008, right. um, we had a business manager who had passed away and he was actually cash, cashing checks of ours on his deathbed still. Oh really? Um, yeah, he stole from a lot of people, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars that we had we had um, we had owed uh, Canadian government um, for taxes that weren't paid by this guy, and just oh wow, you know. So we hit, we hit, we had a really, really great time, and then we had a really, really awful time. Right. Uh, we still toured, we still played shows, we still made records, but it was like everything was it was swimming upstream massively, and it did not come. Uh, easy at all oh, we had to like okay. eat crow and we, we went back to a van and like did some shows that we had to do you know to pay some bills and things like that right, right. and then that was kind of when i started internally feeling you know as my music influences are changing i'm not quite aligned with like how i see my not my career going but my life going just in general i don't i, don't, I didn't want to like 
be a band that was revisiting old glory days, you know, right. chasing yeah. that always. Right. It was just like, I needed a hard reset. Um, I think internally the whole band just needed that after that fourth record. Um, we had so much high hopes for it. And it was a great record, but it just got messed up. Right. And, and um, yeah, that's, that's just when I was like, I was listening to more country music. I was listening to a lot of Keith Urban. Um, and I was like, you know, music business is like, if you're, it, it can, it'll beat the shit out of you, like successful or not. Yeah. So you have to really fully believe in and fully have your heart in and be inspired. And yeah, to, to, to take a kicking for the chance of success. Right. I mean, and, and even then it's just like, do you, is this what you want? You know? Yeah. And, um, I, I, I really felt strongly about making that change. Um, and that's when I started going down to Nashville with Joey, who was like the first guy who took the default. Demos. Well, yeah, yeah, like Joey, yeah. when was the first time that you talked to him about country music? Because I think I saw somewhere that it was like 2004, like way back that yeah, you guys had might, first it, sort of talked about it. Yeah, I, I, it might have been that early, but I, I think I'm leaning more towards like 2006, 2007. Oh, okay. Like, um, yes. Joey, Joey, and I was were he getting his... into the country music scene at that no, point, or when man. did he jump into that? We we jumped in at the exact same time. We had, okay. we had talked a few times uh, randomly about it, like talking about like country acts and like how fun it would be to be like. And my 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 uh, my ex father in law joked about my my voice being good for country, and I just kind of laughed it off at the time. And then the last one of the last producers we worked with with the band default during a vocal take, he stopped and he's like, we should do a country record. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like we're, it's not what we're doing right now, man. Um, right. You know, and, and like, uh, yeah, I just, I went down being Joey. Actually, I can tell you the exact moment that it was, I've told this before, but it's been a long time. I think he we might have told it to me. Yeah, maybe we we did a tour with Three Days Grace. Yeah, um, I was gonna yeah. ask you about it because you yeah. yeah you told me about that a tour with Three Day Three Days Grace and after a show you went to the back of the bus and you text Joey country record, yep. and he texted back when do you want to do it basically right yeah and I think it was like it was after the tour I think it was maybe two three weeks after the tour was over, um, that we had actually gone we had actually the trip was booked we went down and we had, we got in rooms with Craig Wiseman. Like, you know, it was, uh, yeah. And that we first met Seth England, um, and that was with chief and Seth was still pitching songs for Craig. He, he was still new in the build at big loud building. And, um, he was great to me. You know, he, he really loved what Joey and I were doing and writing and, and threw some songs our way and yeah. And then those, yeah. So Joey and I, Joey's first trip to Nashville was with me. Wow. We, we went down there collectively just to kind of see what would happen and maybe make a record together. Yeah. Right. So how did all the connections come about? Were those ones that you and Joey had, or did you go no. down to Nashville, not knowing anyone and made those connections as you went? No, we were co-managed by, uh, by chief um, Zarouk and, and um, he had just put together this writing trip for us. Oh. And, <laughs> and, you know, his first writing trip for us was like with heavy, heavy, heavy hitters. And, it was great. All those guys really got along. We all got along really well with the big loud guys, like um, did a lot of writing in the building and Joey, especially hit it off. Like just with Seth and those guys, um, they were all enamored with like 
asking him questions about the Nickelback records because he, <laughs> right. he had done a lot of like he did all the work on the Nickelback records. Yeah, exactly. So it, was, it was really cool to watch all that all blossom, and then you know, uh, yeah, Seth and and Chief and Joey had talked with Craig and um, the, looking for like new. I think Joey worked on. A, I think the first thing he did was the Jake Owen record, a Barefoot Blue Jean Night. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so that was his first like independent success down there outside of um, uh, rock genre stuff, right? Like. And then the ball was rolling for him for producing. He went on and he, him and Seth um, and chief like came across these two guys, uh, Tyler and Brian (laughs) and, and Joey started, you know, yeah, with, with the amazing writing that those guys had, had a different, different, um, different writing styles, uh, country had seen. And and it just perfectly lined up with what Joey had done with the Nickelback stuff and just that sound. And um, it, it took, it was really cool to watch that, uh, sound take over Nashville with Joey at the helm. It was, it was pretty amazing to see. And I definitely benefited from it from, just from those relationships and um, keeping such great company with, with uh, yeah, with the, with the friendships that had been, been had. And yeah. 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 yeah that's what I was going to ask you about, because I was talking to uh, James Barker and he mentioned that as a Canadian to be successful in Nashville, it is possible, but you have to be in Nashville. You have to be in it. You have to be immersed in it. But for you, you've been able to do it from the outside and you were able to do it quite quickly in breaking into that US market. So what was it about that journey that allowed you to do that? Well, yeah, I mean, it was was having the career that I had had before, um, having the relationships um, uh, with Joe and and with with Chief and, and getting to know Craig and Seth. And so having that experience and people knowing that I had that experience, it, it it's not like I was coming in as a green, green, green artist. It right, was, yeah. um, we made a record and, and we weren't able to really market it in the U S um, this is still iTunes. I mean, buying songs. Um, so it really, really focused on Canada to be quite honest in the first couple of records, uh, first record, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it just, uh, we had five singles off that. I mean, it was a, it really hit the ground running with that new production style. And I was a fresh face. Um, I was an experienced voice, but a new voice in the genre. Um, so it re- yeah, I mean, it, we really took Canada by storm. Like it was really, it really fun to be a part of that. And then have like the name, like Joey, who, you know, I'd gone down there with him to get this started, but to see him alongside with my record, getting recognition, but him getting rec- recognized as a producer and all the stuff that he was doing outside of like, yeah every just everything he was doing so it was it was awesome man it was really a great a great couple years um so it it really helped me especially in canada be able to hit the ground running um and yeah and as as big loud has grown as a company yeah um from that initial trip you know i've been able to have those guys on my side whether i was signed to them or whether i was not signed to them joey's always been on my corner seth and craig have always been chief always been in my corner for helping my career out as, as managing me, regardless of how they're involved in my career. It was like dream, dream scenario. Uh, yeah. And I'm really appreciative for, for, you know, um, yeah. For them believing in me and, and putting their time and effort in, into, into me as an artist as well. So I, so that, that, that really helps. It's a different thing from James because James is right. Like I live in Vancouver. Yeah. My family's here. It would take a lot to, to peel me out of here. Um, but as like a writer and a new artist that doesn't have that, that, that um, previous career, you got to go to Nashville. 
Like you, you, you gotta be immersed. And I know if, if I went down and I, I wasn't based out of Vancouver and I went down and did what James did, it'd be a different trajectory for me. It would have been, and I don't, I don't know what that would have been. I don't know if I'd been a more of a writer or um, that would have taken more of my, I don't, I don't know if I wouldn't have had as much of a career in Canada, if I was located outside of the country um, being here and connecting with different songs and my narrative is different. It's giving me like an outside, a, a different, I think it's given me a bit of a different perspective, whether that's come across in lyrical content or what songs I gravitate towards or how I present myself. I'm not based in Nashville. I'm a Canadian based in Vancouver, British Columbia, singing country music, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's different. And I've had success doing it that way. So I, I'm, I mean, it's, my career has never been um, normal. It's never <laughs> been, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just, it's just kind of just happened the way it's happened. Um, and luckily this last, this last uh, 10 years have been on my own terms and that's, yeah, I've had to make some sacrifices for sure, but a lot of them have been on my own terms and I've been comfortable with all those sacrifices and there's no bitterness that I've carried, you know, while making these things happen. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very one, I'm one of the very, very few that get to learn from mistakes in the music business and, and right. be able to capitalize on those things. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been different. Yeah. Sure. And along the way, I was trying to list out accomplishments that I could say you're, you, you know, you got this accomplishment and this and this and this, but the list just got too long. I had to just say, okay, I can't sit here for 10 minutes and just list off the stuff you've done. So yeah, as you yeah. went along and you've obtained the success and you've broken records and you've gotten the number ones, are you able to take the time to enjoy those or is it difficult to really sit back and celebrate yourself? That's for later. You know, <laughs> um, we, we find ways to celebrate, uh, but we, we, I've, I've always, I've always like tried to instill on like the people around me, like a band and crew and stuff is like this stuff, the awards and things it, 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 it's validation that you're doing things right and doing things in a way that connect people to your music, which is what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, if I had a, if I had a full room um, and didn't win an award, I'd be just as happy, you know, like the awards are really great and it's really great to get up there and, and celebrate with everybody in the team that helped get you there and you show appreciation and, and have those moments. But at the end of the day, it's like, let's get back to work because we got music to make that's got to connect with people. Um, yeah, work's not done, you know, <laughs> and, and we, we, you know, we can I put those awards away in the, in the shelf and the cabinet and stuff. And um, that's that's for later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And two of the more, more recent awards that you have is the two-time reigning CCMA Entertainer of the Year. Now, I heard you joke that it's kind of funny that the two years you've won are the two years you can't actually perform. Congratulations. <laughs> but I took with, it down. Within that, being Entertainer of the Year and looking back 20 years at a kid who didn't even want to perform in front of other people and now being Entertainer of the Year, like how crazy is that to think about those two people? Yeah, it messes with my head. It really does. It really does. Um, but it's also a testament to like, you know, one foot in front of the other, man. You never know, you never know where 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 life is going to take you. And it, you know, being 
on stage and having songs that people sing back to you and stuff like that, it seems like very unattainable. Like it feels like it's so far out there. Yeah. But do you know, all it takes is just like, if you believe in something that you can do creatively um, or whatever, you know, whatever you want to chase down, don't, you got, you have to keep the end goal in mind, but one foot in front of the other. And that's the same thing with the music business is just put the hours in one foot in front of the other, put your, put your neck out there, man. There's a lot of situations even now that I, like I went and sang and sang a song that we hadn't rehearsed with Joss Ramsey last night. You know, even me 10 years ago would have been like so nervous pacing right. back and forth and stuff, you know, but you got to just stick your neck out and realize that, you know, that if to achieve what you want to get, you have to put your neck out there and just worry about the little step, you know? Don't worry about the big one that seems like insurmountable, the big mountain to climb. Just, just go and just take one scoop, you know? And, and it's amazing how 20 years later you can, you can look back on that and, um, and be really proud of what you've done, you know, and what you've yeah. achieved is not the accolades and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm, I don't say this very often, but I'm, I'm really proud. Like knowing myself as a kid, I'm, I'm proud that I was able to get past that. And I don't know where I would have been if I wasn't able to go and, and consistently express that part of me. And, and uh, like even just the physical act of singing, it's just like, right. it's just part of me. Right. And it not to not have that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I definitely wouldn't be as happy of a person as I am for sure. And talking about being happy, I know that mental health is a part of your journey as well. And I just want to ask you about that and sort of how you've managed that throughout this career of the ups and downs and how that has affected things for you. It's like, like, like anxiety and like uh, diagnosed with clinical depression, like 10, 12 years ago, a little longer ago than that. Oh, okay. Um, it's just, you know, seeing my kids, um, you know, wishing that it was more of a upfront acknowledged thing when I was a kid growing up um would have helped me a lot you know so just just reflecting on my personal journey um and especially watching my own kids go through the pandemic and like 17 year old watching him go through his 15 16 year um lockdown pandemic it's not supposed to be that way and watching his mental health and stuff you know it's just right you know, it's super super important and it's um it's something that that has great momentum behind it and it needs to have it, need, it needs to continue yeah. um because it, it is, uh, we're talking about a pandemic of, of uh, grand scale is something you can't see necessarily, right? You don't really have. Yeah. You know. um, so yeah, it's, it's important to me to talk about it. And it's important to me to throw some attention um, and be part of this wave. Uh, yeah, of just directing funds and attention and normalizing um, struggles. You, you don't see them, but you know, it's, it's, it's the Robin Williams thing, right? It's the, mm-hmm. it's, you never know is suffering and you don't know who to what extent you know yeah so it's something that we, we always um i'm always talking about with my band i'm always talking about with my friends and i talk about I, I really try to normalize it and we really do normalize it with my guy friends with all with everybody that 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 on the road and checking on each other and and it it was great to have that over the pandemic with um you know, Jojo Mason and, and Sean mm-hmm. Austin and Andrew Hyatt and Kelly Prescott and Megan Patrick. And a lot of these people that are on the tour, right. It's just, <laughs> we, 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 there's a lot of artists that we had, we were just checking on each other and it was really awesome to have that. Um, yeah. Cause not all of us were, were all okay. You know, yeah. all at the same time. Right. It was really yeah. great to, to, to have that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ever so thankful to, to have that little community around me and, and hopefully they, they felt the same way about having that too. 
one of the shows you were able to play sort of post-pandemic is the Ryman in Nashville. Now you've also had a chance to play the Opry with Terry Clark. Now, not growing up necessarily focused on country music or Nashville, and even not until, you know, your later 20s starting to focus on it. What do those shows mean for you at those iconic venues? Yeah, well, I learned very quick um, what was what and right. what significance was what for sure. I mean, that was part of going down to Nashville and learning, you know. Um, yeah, it's the amazing stories and the and the the history behind. I mean, we were we were yeah our first time in Nashville was just express like exploring Music Row, exploring you know back before Nashville blew up and became the big restaurants everywhere. And yeah, you know it was. Broadway was still just nothing but honky tonks and, and just dirty as hell. And yeah, so we learned really quick, just immerse myself in, in what was what and what meant what. And yeah, it was, and it was, man, it was really awesome. That Ryman experience was even, even, I mean, obviously the Opry as well, but with the Ryman, we able to get up there with my own band and, and two of the guys, um, their parents actually had took him down to Nashville when they were kids and took him to the Ryman. So they had actually stood oh, okay. on that show and the tourist thing as a kid and they remember it. And then, you know, being able to get up there and seeing the look on their face when we get to play. Uh, man, it was, yeah, it's what it's all about, man. It's all, all creating those memories and um, the opportunities and the journey that you, that you get taken on and where it takes you. And here I am singing, wasting my time on the Ryman with my band. And I'm looking up and Craig Wiseman's there and Joey Moy's there looking down. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it really meant a lot. And I, I was really collected and pretty calm and not too nervous i was the right kind of nervous um all the way leading up to that show um even even like even soundcheck was 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 pretty good i felt good but and i tell you when you when you get up there on the stage and you see people sitting in those pews and you see people that have supported you and you see new faces they're there to see trace atkins you got to win them over i mean it, it's a it's a it's a it's a full-on wide range of emotions and it hits you yeah, um, very, very hard. And it, I, I, there's very few moments that hit you like that. And that Ryman show was definitely, definitely one of them. Uh, the, the, the Opry one was, I, I hopped up and sang one drink ago with Terry and it like, it was a really great way to play the Opry because I, I sang on the opera stage, but I kind of didn't play the Opry. I was just kind of a guest of Terry. So it was right. like, you know, just get up and don't screw up, you know? <laughs> um, but to have that, have that memory with her on that stage and being invited. I mean, that's, that's Canadian country royalty on, on, you know, in, in her throne. I mean, it really, I mean, it was, it was, I got, I got to sit on her lap for a few minutes. It was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. But the Ryman, the Ryman wasn't really special too. It was just, um, yeah. Yeah. And as cool as those shows are, is there nothing much like coming home to the Commodore and being able to play the Commodore ballroom? Is that sort of the Canadian Ryman for you? Yeah. Well, just it's, it's my, I mean, my history is at the Commodore Ballroom. I mean, my, we won this 99.3 The Fox, the rock station here. A song called Deny won the radio station contest and kind of got a record deal in the U.S. Um, my, I think we won, that, we won that contest. So the reward was we got to open up for, open up for, I think it was the Headstones, I think, at the Commodore Ballroom. I think it was like my third show oh, I'd wow. ever played. Like, and then we had this song that people knew on radio and I had no, if I could hide, like I, I basically figured out how I could hide behind a microphone like this. <laughs> yeah. 
but it was it was it was great man it was yeah i cut my teeth there i still played played uh some of the most memorable shows there like yeah yeah i played probably a dozen times 16 times in that show all throughout different times in my career over the last 20 some odd years yeah you don't mention your mom and dad too much on social media. Kind of all I know about them is that your mom is a cancer survivor and your dad scored two hole-in-ones on the same hole uh, like a year apart. That's really all I know about them. But talk about them throughout this journey and what they've meant for you. Oh, everything. They've been, you know, my, my parents, yeah, uh, more supportive than... Uh, yeah, I'm very, very, I say fortunate a lot. Uh, very fortunate to have um, my parents. They, they believed in me so much. Like when we, when we first handed off that demo tape to when Joey took it from the garage and then took that, yeah, that ADAT tape to Chad, Nickelback Chad, they'd just come out of recording school and they sat us down and said, hey, we think we could make a really good record with these songs. And here's our plan. We need this much money. And right. yeah, like we put up a plan together with them. It's like in a duo tang that Chad, Joy, and all them, we all put together. It's a presentation of what we would do with the money. And right. my parents, like based on that and based on the demos, they didn't grew up, you know, not with a ton of money. Like, you know, didn't have money to lend us and they took out a line of credit and gave us um, each a small loan, you know, and we were each individually responsible for it. Wow. And we went to the studio and we recorded some songs and that's that, you know, deny, deny came out of that, those, those recording sessions. And that's what got us our record deal and got us in the Commodore. And, um, so it, all throughout my career, like every, every bit of it, you know, those, those grinding days of like, rehearsing and all the parents were there was yeah they were all all together and it was a big clan and they would all come to our shows you know cutting our teeth in the little clubs and celebrating all those wins with us um yeah all of our parents and stuff were already close we'd have backyard parties and celebrate stuff before we would go out on the road and yeah so like all, all through my career all of our parents were super super um, supportive and my parents you know even through like the really the really dark times where we were getting robbed by our business manager. And yeah, like there was times where like you know, the beginning part of my relationship with Kristen, where I had like son was really young. I was, you know, single dad ish and right. uh, no money. And like, I had to literally like, like Kristen, can you come to the dentist? I don't have money in my account to play, pay for this root canal that I just had. Cause my, I let my teeth sit for so long. Right. Oh, like it wow. was just, yeah, and, and and they were always there to make sure that that we were okay and had that platform to um, to take those risks. Like, you know, I'm broke. I'm gonna go down to Nashville. You know, after I've already had a, a successful career, like, you know, um, they were there. They've always been the rocks for me. And knowing that I, knowing that I had them in my corner, right? So yeah. I, I don't, I don't talk, I don't put them on social media. I don't, um, I'm a pretty reserved introvert and right. my, parents, my parents are very much, very much like that. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I talked about my mom and I dedicated that award uh, to her at the CCMAs that one year. And she was upset that I, I had, uh, 
throwing that much attention onto her. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think her words was like, you rat bastard. You know, uh, <laughs> so she, she, she means well, but yeah, I, I, I just tend not to. Yeah. Same with my son too. I, I just don't, uh, I, I, I just, I just leave it be and, and um, yeah, I'll throw them on there every once in a while. But yeah, yeah, they've been, yeah, they've been everything, you know? Everything. Yeah, nice. And one more and I'll let you go. I just want to ask throughout this 20 year career, as you've seen yourself grow with the fault and now through your country career, how do you feel personally that you've grown as an artist and especially within the country genre over the past, whatever it's been, almost 10 years, I guess. Yeah, 10 years from your debut, almost to the day, actually. Yeah. Um, May 23rd, 2012, I think I have here that your debut album was released. So almost to the day of 10 years, how do you feel you've grown? Um, in every way possible, to be, to be honest. I mean, just going through what I had gone through, uh, uh, approaching relationships differently, um, approaching business dealings differently, just everything is like, like just basic human skills <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that you normally would develop in your late teens and early twenties when you're living on a tour bus, you don't develop those skills. Um, so like, yeah, just, just making my life more well-rounded and having, having my effort put in, in a more well-rounded way, um, not taking a lot of things for granted and smell the flowers while they're, while they're still blooming. Cause yep. I experienced all that stuff. Right. And then it's gone. So, um, yeah, every, every way, man, preparing in the studio differently, uh, preparing for records differently, knowing that, um, knowing that you're, 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 you're a couple songs away from, from just being like, yeah, that guy was good. Um, yeah, I, I want to have I want to have a long, long standing career in whatever way that takes me as a as a vocalist and as an artist. And um, yeah, I I have to still learn how to care about the things that I need to care about and fine tune it where I let go of the things that I shouldn't care about. It's still a work in progress and right. I've gotten a lot better at it um, just as a human being. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've done. I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of growing. Just, I've got three kids now, man. I got, I got some, we just went through a pandemic, right? We, we, uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't grow up and mature at that point, uh, you might never. So it's, been, yeah. it, it's been a really, it's been a really, I really enjoyed my, my 10 years and my, my time with the rock band. Um, uh, and I, and I, a lot of it like showed me what kind of things I need to work on once once that was all over and reset and was, you know, with Kristen, my wife and yeah, just, I was just gonna, I, I, I get to learn from mistakes in a lot of aspects of my life and I'm not going to blow it um, this time. So that's what my 10 years has been is put my nose down, my head down and just, yeah, well, we go back to work. Right. But it's like, doing the work that I have to do and work on myself in order to get me to be able to go and, and properly enjoy the fun, which right. is the, which is the studio, bring the songs to life and then going and, and, and hopefully having these songs connect to people. That's not the work. The work is like making sure you're okay and properly ready to bring your all and your best to the studio and to this career that I have and bringing songs, what the songs deserve. Um, 
and my fans deserve without picking up my personal life. Right. Yeah. The other stuff. That's that's what my that's what my last ten years has looked like. I think as I as I look at it from a you know 30,000 foot view, um, trying to keep it on the tracks in a positive direction. <laughs> Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Dallas for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his newest single, Hide From A Broken Heart, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website at countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Thanks once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music.